I want to thank our sponsor, Planet Forward. Planet Forward has always been a proud supporter of law enforcement in the community, providing customer service and fleet management, sales, and service. If you're looking for that personal quality service, contact Planet Forward in spring or online at planetforward.com. Listen to Crime Scene Today, where we talk about current and future issues affecting law enforcement, forensics, and crime scene investigation. I'm your host, Dan Zentek. Joining me today, I have the police chief of Humble Police Department, uh, Ken Tice, and I appreciate you coming in today. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, other police topics, but uh, actually, this week and the following week, we have two police chiefs that have just recently been promoted to chief. Uh, Ken with Humble, and then Montgomery ISD Police Chief. He just recently took that role. So uh, this week we're going to be talking about the city of Humble and just some uh, goals and different things they're doing and uh, news around the world affecting law enforcement. And then uh, next week we're going to be talking about school resource officers, the importance and the role they play in police work and some challenges that uh, they're going to be facing. But uh, Ken, thank you so much for coming in. Oh, thank you for having me today. So Ken, you got... uh, you got promoted to chief October, yes? October 8th, yes, sir. So congratulations. Thank but, you very uh, much. So you have been with the same department all of your 30, police career. That is correct, 37 years. So uh, I have that you started at 19. 19 years old, that's yep. correct. So what were you doing at 19 at the police department? Uh, actually, uh, at that time, state law of Texas allowed you to be a police officer at 19 years old. So I was in the academy at about 19 and a half graduated the academy and just had a few months uh, before I turned 20. So I did patrol and I was a reserve officer that first four years and did patrol in all operations. So now I mean it's it's uh it's rare for someone obviously one to have started as young and to stay with the department as long to reach the rank that now you're the chief of police of Humble right. Um, and obviously, I'm sure you saw some uh, changes along the way and great leaders that uh, were your mentors along the way and such. Yes. But you finally got to a point that obviously we, we always talk along our career, you know, if I was in charge, right, if I was in charge, I could do this, I could change this. And as law enforcement has changed, uh, you now are in that role. So before we get into some of your ideas of future law enforcement stuff, to give us an idea, this uh, this actually listened to in, in 17 different countries that uh, uh, are not anywhere close to us. We're, we're broadcasting out of Conroe, Texas, and Montgomery County uh, in Texas. But uh, So give us a little bit about Humble. Tell us the uh, demographics and everything that you, you have in your city. Well, at Humble, we have a residential population of just under 16,000 people. Uh, the town has grown exponentially over the past years. Uh, I grew up in Humble. So uh, in the 70s, uh, Humble had the planning of Deerbrook Mall coming along right. back in the day. It was really a couple red lights in Humble, and that was about it. It was just a normal country-type town about 20 miles north of downtown Houston. Through the 80s, the mall was developed, and, of course, all the infrastructure around the mall began to develop. Uh, influx of uh, people moved into the city and the surrounding area. So Humble has grown again and during that phase and through the 90s. The police department as well has grown. I think when I started there, I was in 1987 when I went full-time, I was the 27th police officer oh, uh, wow. as far as number went. Now we're up to right at 68 police officers uh, and 100 total uh, personnel. 
So you have a mixture of commercial residential district. We do. We're, we're probably more commercial than uh, residential now. Uh, we have uh, about four subdivisions. A new one's being developed right now, with a, which will have about three to 400 homes in it. We do have a lot of hotel, retail. Retail is our main thing. We're also located uh, just about three miles east of uh, Houston Intercontinental Airport. So we get a lot of influx from travelers coming through the area, stop, eat at the restaurant. So our daily population goes sometimes anywhere from the 16,000 residential population to 150 to 200,000 people during the daytime. And y'all have, uh, I know it's not a, a large one, but y'all do have like a conference center. Is that in the city? The, right? We do have the Humble Civic Center that's located on Will Clayton Parkway. And it's, it's also a civic center and a civic arena. So they host rodeos there, and then they also do host conventions and things like that. So uh, tell me a little bit about y'all's divisions that you have. Obviously, you have patrol. We do. We have patrol division and traffic uh, division. We also have uh, criminal investigations division, uh, the forensics lab. We do have our own laboratory uh, in in the city of Humble. With the traffic unit specifically, they also take care of the red light photo enforcement program that's still in effect with us due to a contract that we have that's going to run out in 2024, I believe. We also operate the drone program out of there for an aerial support unit. We're we're located so close to Houston Intercontinental Airport, we have to stay within uh, a certain altitude boundary due to the airport because we're on the right. three landing runways for the primary runways. So now, does Humble have anywhere to grow? Is there any place for it to we annex? Are not. It's, it's we we in. have annexed pretty much everything that can be annexed. We're landlocked by Houston ETJ around us. Okay. And so now close to y'all, y'all are on the, the north end of Harris County. That is and correct, yes. So y'all border up close to us in, in Montgomery County, not very far down the road. We I believe at the river is, is where we stop, and it's just about a half mile we bump to Montgomery County. Right. I know there is at one point, it probably has been corrected since then, of, of annexation, where I know that there's one point you you left Humble, you entered Houston, you entered Humble, you entered Harris County, then you were in back in Houston and into Montgomery County. It depends on where you were on that 59 stretch. Correct as to what jurisdiction you were in. That, that is correct. Now you pretty much leave Houston, enter Humble, leave Humble, enter Houston again. Houston is annexed all the way around us now. Okay. So uh, to talk about, um, well, certainly the new role that uh, you're taking on. So, so tell us, um, you know, where y'all are currently where you sort of see some things that you'd like to do. I mean, now that, now that you're in charge, right? So what, right. what, what do you exactly. see is, which well, is a b- big role, right? It is, it is. Uh, and it's, it's, it's been fun and exciting just in this first couple of months getting started. One of the things the officers have over the years always told me they wanted a, a and over the last few years that we've gone to more of the lightweight uniforms, uh, things like that. Uh, facial hair is an issue with our younger officers. They want to be able to grow facial hair the exposure of tattoos. So I've allowed some of those things on a trial basis to see how it works. So far, it's working out fine. Those are just some of the quick decisions I could make uh, overall. We have gone back to district policing. We've got away from that for a while and gone to just a radio dispatch for whatever unit was close by. We've gone back to district policing uh, where the officers are divided into certain beats to work. That seems to be working extremely well. I've got a lot of citizen comments that they're seeing more police officers in their neighborhoods. Uh, Our business communities also benefit from that. They are as well seeing more officers in their business areas. Uh, We do have, like I was explaining earlier, Deerbrook Mall, which is a large shopping center. 
it, it deploys personnel for there for proactive patrols for burglary motor vehicle auto theft reduction issues and all so those things have worked out really well now do y'all have one station or you have substation anywhere? we actually we have one station we have a, a smaller station and I, I don't even really call it a station it's where Deerbrook Mall there's two officers assigned to work out of that location it is just a very small little storefront type station over there okay so they, they mainly just take care of them all people that is correct yes if the public were to go somewhere to file a report they'd they be come to one central location the the, the police station, station on Bender Yes. So uh, when you switched over to the district, so how many districts did you divide into? We are actually, it's certain times of the day. <clears throat> day shift and night shift are running four different beats, four different district areas. Evening shift, with their amount of personnel on, they have divided into two different districts uh, with two different sub-beats in each district uh, just because of the call volume that they run and the, and the way the calls, uh, process during that time of the day. So primarily it's four districts, but evening shift has theirs broke down to where two of the districts actually, or two of the districts on each side operate in tandem with each other. I mean, usually any, any area that has a high <clears throat> commercial uh, area means that you change in population during the day. Yes, right? sir, we do. So, so during the day, you have this populace of workers that's coming in. That is, you great. have the populace of your, uh, you know, people visiting the stores, your consumers that are coming in. Uh, so that obviously changes, and and now we're entering Christmas, right? So, um, have you seen much activity at the mall? I mean, not. I wouldn't think it would be as much as it normally is at the mall. With I the actually COVID spoke to the mall manager on Monday when uh, the holidays were over with and all. He actually said they, they their traffic count was up equal to, if not a little more than last year. Wow. Uh, we would have thought that, the same thing, that it would have been down. The Some of the stores reported sales better than last year. So we did have a, a large crowd that hit our shopping areas and shopping districts. Uh, with that being said, we had a slow as far as crime goes. We did catch uh, one burglary motor vehicle suspect at Deerbrook Mall. Early Monday morning, uh, we had a, a store being burglarized and the Humble Police Department caught both of the suspects on that on a burglary in progress call first thing Monday morning. Other than that, it was a fairly, as far as criminal-wise goes, it was an uneventful weekend. Uh, and usually that's that's where it picks up. You get, usually you get, Black Friday is just... Tons of BMVs. Unbelievable. Auto thefts, BMVs, uh, shoplifting calls, all of that. And it was relatively slow this time. Well, good. I'm, so I'm, that worked out really well. I'm glad to hear people are out shopping and, and behaving themselves and on top of it. Obeying the law doing so, yes, sir. Right. The, um, you know, I know we always have great concerns as we get closer with... Uh, uh, robberies and things like that. People leaving Correct. the mall as uh, uh, people are hitting them up closer to to the Christmas season, which we're only what three three four weeks three away. Weeks yeah, three away, weeks I believe. away. Yeah, we, we our schools quick. out. As yes, soon as sir. schools out, that's where we start getting everybody coming in. So, uh, talking about some uh, some issues with uh, just they've been brought up in the news. So you said you had a drone. Uh, what uh, what do y'all use your drone for? We use ours primarily the focus on it is for photographing uh, crime scene evidence for traffic fatalities because we do have two very large roadways across the rumble it helps us a lot to document the scene from an aerial perspective and clear the roadway as soon as possible to get the traffic mobility flowing again back to its normal standards that's our primary function however we do use it for searching for felony suspects or missing people 
Are y'all using the drone to take measurements with? Or are y'all still using Total Station we or are, Scan? We're still using Total Station at this time. We are fixing to purchase the equipment to take the measurements from the drone and be able to drop it right into a map program. So that should make it faster to open that up the roadways. That should expedite it even better. So have you had any of your citizens bring up concerns of the drone for privacy issues and such? We have not had any of our citizens bring up any privacy concerns. However, the sergeant that's over that unit does watch and monitor that so that we're not flying into someone's area that deems private, you know, that that right. we shouldn't be in by law or anything. Well, I mean, it's it's sort of the, the common conversation that, that we have whenever we're talking about drones, facial recognition, uh, all those things is the balance between privacy, the citizens' concern over it, and, you know, I guess from a, a police standpoint, we look at we just we just don't see it because when when we look at it, it's like well no we have no desire to look in your Correct. backyard yes. we have no desire to track someone who's not a criminal um, and obviously that's coming from uh, a police aspect that's doing the right thing right Correct that uh, is right there there's certainly examples of police misconduct that uh, you know we hate just as much as a regular citizen that, absolutely that, we do that we uh, that we're seeing in the news so certainly it brings up concerns and stuff but uh, we, we've had the same we've had a drone program in Montgomery County for for years it's been used yep. uh, for again uh, looking for missing people and uh, for crime scene and and all sorts of things that um, that some people have voiced concerns of it, but uh, not to the level that uh, we've seen any uh, abuse of it. Uh, now, you said you have a, a canine. Uh, we do have a canine. So yeah. uh, you said it's dual purpose. So what? Explain what that what that dual means. purpose is. Uh, a dog, a canine that can track a suspect if he's fleeing. Uh, our policy specifically lays it out for a felony suspect. So somebody just committing a Class C misdemeanor theft. We're not going to break the the canine out to chase right. them down. It's a felony suspect only, and that's what they do. They they track uh, suspects on that to uh, attempt to locate them. And then also the dog is a dual purpose dog. It's a narcotic dog, so it will make a detection on a narcotic hit. You know, and, and that brings up so one of the stories that I saw this past week in the Associated Press. Um, and, and again, we're, we're talking about Seattle, and, and the one thing you'll notice in a lot of these stories that we'll talk about seem to be places that there, there's a breakdown between police and their community, uh, whether it's Seattle, it's uh, Portland, it's, it's places where we're seeing riots, where we're seeing problems. So obviously there's already issues there, right, that, that's leading right. to these type of things. But um, they talked about Washington State uh, lawmakers uh, talking about police reform and different things. But the one thing that really stood out, I've heard about many of the police reforms uh, in general, and this was something new uh, that I saw. This was from December 1st. It came out uh, that they want to bar the use of police dogs. Okay. Yes. And, and that one sort of struck me as odd because, I mean, um, I've certainly heard about their concern over officer misconduct and uh, use of force issues where, and I, I guess to a point, the dog's a use of force issue. But right. um, this is the first time I, I've heard of that uh, being brought up. But uh, so to bar uh, police dogs and their their concern uh, on this is that uh, uh, they basically, I guess they, there's been some videos that uh, have been released or come up uh, where they're claiming that, of course, the person was not moving, not resisting, and, and getting bit or getting a dog released on them. 
which I think goes back to what you said, which is policy uh, that, put in place, right? That is exactly right. Having the policy in place for the conduct of the handler when to deploy the, the canine unit and overseeing the canine unit to make sure that doesn't happen. I mean, what do you think the impact would be by us not being able to use any police dogs? It would definitely be a negative impact for us in the law enforcement community. There's so many times, and Captain, you've seen it over the years too, suspects would not have been apprehended had we not had the use of a canine to track the suspects down. Yeah, I mean, we, we had one um, just last week. They had, uh, I think it was two pistols, an AR-15. They had uh, meth, heroin, um, prescription pills. Anyway, he, he takes off. Um, dog caught him in seconds and he's in custody he had uh parole violations out for uh, a robbery and uh felon possession of a, a weapon so i mean yeah that we just last week we're we're using that's them, right? exactly right what i'd be more concerned with some of this wording is uh, they they really did not define um as you said dual purpose or, or a bite dog or a tracking dog or whatever they've they just said police dogs so now you think about uh, police dogs being totally taken out of it that are used for uh, narcotics, for explosions, for, I mean, we use them in the schools for bomb detection. Uh, whenever right. you have um, big events, I know we've talked with the fire marshal's office and over we have anything like the Super Bowl coming to town. or what, They run so many explosive dogs that I, I'm not sure if this would would go to that, but... Well, like you just pointed out, they're trying to blanket the entire canine program. And, and you've got a good point there. Some of these canines are specifically trained for narcotic detection only, explosive detection only. And then obviously some of them are dual purpose dogs that are trained for tracking and those purposes. Yeah, it's, um, so I, I'm not sure where that's going. Uh, the, the common thing that I've seen in, in this whole uh, trend of reform and defunding and that type of stuff, um, it, it doesn't. It doesn't appear like there's a thought out process or solution. It, it's just okay. We we feel there's misconduct, so therefore we should take away funding from them. That will tie their hands. But and a perfect example was um, over Thanksgiving holiday, right? I think of the New York mayor that uh, had had basically, or the New York governor. He had basically said that he did not want uh, more than so many people meeting at Thanksgiving, right? And, Correct. And that want police to go enforce this. And if they if they didn't do that, I think his quote was on the, well, they're not real police officers or, or some comment, right? And so I take that into account where we're defunding. So you've reduced the force, and but the first person you turn to when you need something done is still the police Law agency. Law enforcement. Right. And that's, that's always been the trend, right? That and is that's, correct. That's the ongoing, and, and I agree with some of the statements they're making that police are doing too much, right? I'll agree yes. with that, that mm -hmm. when you first turn to the police for every solution, for any problem that comes up, they are going to be overwhelmed. They're not going to be able to uh, take care of all of the other issues that they, that they should be taking care of. So under the, I guess, the, the idea of it is great, but... When you don't have another plan, such as they say, well, we should have um, mental health officers, which we do. We have them in Harris County. We have them in Montgomery County. Correct. Um, but for the most part, even those systems, they're not the first to respond. 
You know, it's still patrol. It is our line police officers that make that first initial encounter. I mean, it's like you said, you have the districts. When correct. a person calls in from Humble, it's going to be the person that's a block or two away. That is correct. At, at, at no point, or I hope at no point, we're telling the caller we're not coming. And you we got, would never, yes. You, you're going <laughs> to have to wait until this specialized person who, wherever they may be, is going to get to you, right? Right. And that's sort of what this, this plan looks like at, at, the, at the rough sketch of what they're coming up with as we, we defund here and we fund these other areas. Of course, the, the problem is there's no transition of this process. Of how to get to this point. Right. Yes. So what, what we've seen is um, the couple that stood out, and I, I talked about a couple weeks ago, was uh, New Orleans, L.A., Austin, all have been cut by millions, millions of dollars. And so it'd be the same as turning to you saying, okay, the Humble Police Department budget is cut by half, okay? And now you have to find a solution to still do your job. And the most common thing that they're doing is something I would assume you would probably do too, and that's, well, the minor calls we're not going to be able to handle. That is right. exactly you know, right. You don't have another option. You would option. have to take your priority calls only and so there's, deal with those. So a bunch of these agencies are now, they're not responding to burglaries. They're not responding to thefts. They're not responding to nonviolent calls, which is, as you know, a large portion of calls. So, but your citizen, that's the biggest thing happening to them, right? Their house was broken into. They've come home. They feel violated. They've lost their stuff. They would like the police to help them through this process, which we do on a daily basis. Absolutely. And you call and they say, no, uh, call your insurance, you know, and, and I can't, I can't fathom a world that, 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 you know, after being in law enforcement as long as we have. That's right. Nor can I. Yes. You know, but, but that's where it's turned to. And I totally understand it. But I think it's also going to lead to a problem like we see in Chicago where uh, the murder rate is extreme. And we've seen homicides increasing. Matter of fact, just, uh, just this past week in the Houston Chronicle, uh, they talked about the city of Houston. Correct. And uh, it was in, if I remember the dates right, in 2010, the clearance rate for homicide was 89%. The clearance rate as of this year is 46%. That almost half. Right. And, of what it is. And what it was at that time. And they did a survey of the officers in the unit. They also tore, looked at it. And one of the conclusions that they came up with is that for one, uh, you have a lot of people retiring. We'll talk about that in a second. But uh, the average time in the homicide unit now is an officer of two and a half years. Okay. So yes. you, you think of the veteran officers. And you look back at when you and I first started, a homicide investigator in Houston, you and I both know they were five, ten-year senior police officers that finally made it to that. And now it's rotating out that quickly that it's a two-and-a-half-year uh, seniority police officer. Right. And it's, uh, there's a lot of training, a lot of experience that goes Absolutely. in with that, other than just seen. You That's know, exactly you, you get, right. You get plenty of seen experience. Sure. There. Uh, but and in other areas, uh, like in L.A., that they are taking homicide gang units. They're basically sort of dissolving these units. I won't say dissolve, but they're removing a lot of people from these units, and they're putting them on patrol because you still got to have the people to respond. Absolutely. Right? You, you still got to have your patrol officers. So at the end of it, you can't expect that violent crimes is not going to go up if you don't have people solving them. Because uh, as you know, the, it's not the, 
person doing one is the person doing 20 robberies and 30 robberies. If you don't take them off the street, if you never solve the one, it's going to keep going. It will continue to grow. And the, the less enforcement action that you're taking against the people committing aggravated robberies, you and I both know they will get more aggressive each time they begin to commit their crimes. Also, with this the same thing with homicides, the, the, the more they know that they're not being hunted, per se, by an investigator that's really working on the case, following up, you're just going to aggravate that situation and they're going to feel more free to, to go about doing their crimes and things. Yeah, no, we, we've so. had that with, uh, and I know you're in Harris County, but uh, I'll speak to it anyway. The, yeah. the difference between uh, time that people get in Harris County and time that people get in Montgomery County, even though right. we're bordering counties. Correct. Um, you know, we had uh, aggravated robbery. We were working. They were going into fast food places, Jack in the Box, McDonald's, uh, pistol whipping the clerk, uh, taking the money, and numerous. And it was this group of, I think it was 28 people, uh, the gang out of Harris County, and when you looked at their punishment for their crimes in Harris County, they were getting deferred adjudication, they were getting probation, um, which only allowed them to feel free to yeah. keep this process, right? Yeah, right back out um, on the street. So uh, they committed them up here. I think in one case they got 40 years, another they got 60 years. I mean, word starts getting out, you don't do that here. That's right. right. Yes. And and I'm not dismissing by any means the overwhelming amount of cases that Harris County has and the balance right. of what they are able to take to trial, what they're able to actually fill their jail with and what sure. they have to have to release. I'm not dismissing that, but right. it, it's a problem that because there is definitely unique issues with Houston being as big as it is in Harris County. Uh, there is issues with the, the county jail being overwhelmed, uh, the courts being overwhelmed and things like that. I mean, it's, uh, and currently, so that brings us sort of a, another problem, and this is, um, I guess, global, is the, is the COVID issue. Right. And so currently, uh, as far as jails are concerned, we're trying to minimize the amount of people that end up in there right. uh, for the purpose of not spreading the virus, uh, which has led us to taking crimes that are lesser uh, that normally you would go to jail. Like the, the day I interact with you and i'm not talking about violent crime right. i'm talking about a shoplifter or something like that right or, uh maybe possession of small drugs or whatever right you're not going to jail i'm gonna file a warrant for your arrest later um i guess at a, at a time that it's better i don't know really uh, well, where yes. that falls into maybe that, when we uh, get over the pandemic know, we, we but... just uh put those in i'm, I'm not sure how that works because i guess if you filed a warrant tomorrow and they turn yourself in you're in the same boat as if you would arrest them that night right. but either way uh we're currently doing that to alleviate because there's still the problem in the courts because it translates from the jail to the courts. Uh, I don't know in Harris County if they have started any type of jury trials. I believe they have. I'm not 100%. I believe they have on a very limited basis. I think the same here. I think they've they've had a couple. Right. And that's what I was going to say. I just talked to a Splendora lieutenant yesterday, and he's he had told me, because I didn't know that Montgomery County was experiencing the same thing, but he said they're doing the same thing oh, for yeah. the COVID reason get a warrant, have the people turn their stuff in later. Like you said, I guess at a better date or something. Yeah, it's, um, well, and I, I guess at that point they can then go straight to the, the courts and start and working out dates working the, and, and Working and the process, yes. But uh, again, so we're not having trials, which delays. I mean, we have, we have some stronger cases that uh, we arrested or filed charges over a year ago. Right. You know, that they're just... 
they're in line, and they would have been done by now. It's, it's sure. I know, you know, uh, it's nothing wrong with the system as far as the process of what it should do. It's just that this has thrown a wrench in moving that process along. And, you know, what certainly concerns me with anybody being out on bond that probably is, that is guilty, you know, uh, the opportunity for them to keep committing those crimes. And I remember when I worked Harris County, uh, it seemed to be a trend that uh, once you were arrested and you were on bond, if you could go commit as many things as possible before you actually went to trial, meaning more burglaries, more burglary, more vehicles, whatever, then by the time you did get arrested, if you got caught on those, they just all lumped it into one. One case. Yeah. And, and it was seemed to be beneficial for you or something. I don't, I don't know. That was uh, my take on it. Um, but so talking about uh, that as far as uh, uh, small arrest and different things like that. Um, so a big surprise, at least was to me, uh, was uh, the legalization or the decriminalization of the meth heroin and uh, cocaine in uh, Oregon that, that had passed. Right. Um, I, I remember talking to a, a DA agent just out of curiosity many years ago and just saying, is there any place like in the world that like all drugs are legal? Like, I mean, like you could, if you just wanted to go do drugs, you could go there. And he was unaware of any place at that time. I don't know how many years ago it was. I never thought it'd be here. In our country. In our country that that you could go, you know, do heroin, coke, meth. Uh, Now, to clarify, they're not saying it's it's legal. I mean, they're not opening cocaine shops and things like next to the dispensaries. But they're basically saying if you get caught with a usable personal amount, I'm not positive what their measurement is, but their personal use, then you can choose between a $100 fine or rehab, right? Uh, I get the concept, right? The, the concept is that we want people to get better and not do drugs. Right? Re- rehabilitate themselves. Right. That's, yeah. that's, it's a great concept, but what I've learned in years of doing this, if someone doesn't want help... That it, is exactly right. They have to want the help, and you know as well as I do, you and I being in it so long... We've seen that time and time again. Most of these people, they're not wanting the help. Uh, even when you force them into a mandatory rehab program, they get back out. You and I have seen it year after year. They reoffend again. It, it appears that um, at a time that we're already dealing with heroin over to, I mean, there was not a previous time in my career that we had Narcan in the property room. Correct. Right. And Narcan in our cars that, that we were dealing with those issues. I, I can't imagine why any place would make it easier to use it. You know, now I'm, I'm sort of in the middle on the fact I, I get that if you have a small amount, you know, in Texas, it's two to 10 years in the state pension. Should someone go to the penitentiary for 10 years for having a small amount of Coke on them. I'm not sure. That's up for debate, right? Same here. I'm, but, I'm not sure you know, on that I, I would rather a violent offender be in there right. than the guy who went to some party and had some cocaine on him, right? Right. Um, but I also know from experience that's not what happens. I don't know of anybody who got caught with a vial of Coke and ends up in TDC for 10 years. 
you know, I it's, can't think of any myself. Come to know, think of it, but I'm like you. I think the violent offenders is who we need to have locked in the penitentiaries. The ones that are committing a robbery and shooting people, things like that, are more violent offenders. I definitely believe should be the you know, ones that. And I'm not dismissing that those things happen many times related. Absolutely. To people on drugs, trying to get drugs, trying to get money for drugs. Uh, drugs are very common related to those. And, and I don't discount the fact that it has to be addressed. Otherwise, you know, the the revolving door will just keep continuing to happen with it. So it definitely has to have something to get addressed. I agree with you. I, I'm like you, I don't know anybody that got 10 years over a little vial of cocaine. But again, you know, maybe there is some areas there that we need to look at as a criminal justice system. So, but I think the extreme that Oregon's taken has led to more use. It's going to lead, in my opinion, to, to bigger problems, right? Because the drug users you and I know and have seen, they don't care about the $100 fine, right? That's, that's, that's exactly right. They were spending that on the cocaine, right? Right. So they'll do that uh, and well, then move on to whatever. And the, and the deal is they're they're going to have to commit thefts to continue their habits of purchasing the narcotics. So it just turns into that, that ball that just keeps the snowball effect. Uh, they're, they're, that's the ones that are out here committing all the, the metal thefts, things like that at night, uh, burglaries, things like that, because they're doing some of these things to, to make, to commit their thefts, to get the money to purchase their narcotics. You know, and it's, again, it goes back to, uh, the areas, the areas that we talk about all these things in, uh, Seattle, Portland, I mean, it, it's all right. uh, up in the same areas that are having this uh, protest and other things. So um, it, it appears that there's not a very good working relationship between the criminal justice system and uh, the citizens and the, even the elected officials in some of those areas. Um, but bringing that same conversation sort of back to Texas, there was um, in... Um, on one of the Dallas news stations, they were talking about Fort Worth has stopped arresting most marijuana offenders uh, because of testing. And I know you and I have both experienced the problem with the testing. So to clarify uh, this problem that our legislature gave us a couple years ago. Right. Um, so it was not an attempt to legalize marijuana in Texas. It was an attempt to help hemp agriculture in Texas. And so the question came up of what's the difference between hemp and marijuana, marijuana. right? And they said, okay, well, it's the 3%, the THC. THC levels 3% or more, right. yeah. What they failed to do was they failed to actually check with the state lab to see if we could test percentage of THC. Spoiler alert, we can't. No. Okay, so... So now you've put on the books basically a law that, in a sense, has sort of negated the marijuana laws because if I pull you over and you have marijuana, I have to now test this, and I don't have a state lab that's capable of testing this. So we've been in this limbo of these cases that are filed, no way to test it, and then most recently DPS saying they're not testing any of it. You know, uh, so... Now you have to go to a private lab, and the other issue with private labs, it's not just paying for a private lab. It's not right. just like, okay, it's $100 or $500 to test this particular case at this private lab. What goes along with that private lab is you have testimony. You have an expert 
lab tech who is a expert in forensic toxicology and if it goes to trial you now have to pay them so this one case could cost your county or your city five thousand dollars in testimony and testing and everything else um, I don't know what your budget is, but if you had to pay $5,000 out of your budget on every marijuana case that you came across, right. it would dwindle. It would, it would dwindle quickly. the budget quickly. Yes. There's just, like you said, uh, the, the monetary value behind the forensic toxicology, like you said, and then the, the expert that would have to come in and testify uh, on behalf of that uh, would dwindle your budget quickly. So also talking about budgets. So are y'all using body cameras? We are. Okay. So we just switched to them. Uh, probably this past year, we started implementing ours. And one of the biggest problems we've run into, and I'd love to hear your take on it, is what okay. are you doing for storage? We, we have a lot of storage. We've actually had body cameras for several years now. Uh, we're on the Coban system, right. so they interlink with our vehicles. Uh, we, of course, our motor vehicles all have uh, camera systems in those as well. We've had to increase our storage a great deal. And we've got our servers all set up now to where as soon as they start getting to around 80%, we, we purchase more storage. But, yes, it is a cost, and we've had and to it's, increase it's storage. It's an expensive cost. We, it we, is. We've, we've run into that, too. So. We use Coban also. Okay. And, uh, so we had the, the car videos, and those were out there for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, but then uh, when we add the body cams, and I, I'm sure that uh, you experienced the same thing, even though right. it's been a couple of years, the amount doubled, if not tripled. If of, not tripled, uh, yes. The amount uh, of The body cams seem like they get a lot more on them than the car cams do. Yep, but that that brings me to a um, an article uh, out of the New York Times that was talking about, and, and again, it's back to this balance of police abuse and where, and they say that everyone should have body cams because it, it helps as far as reduce um, uh, that basically every interaction then is recorded and uh, that officers uh, wearing the devices um, basically are held accountable. Okay, is right. this is the same people that are saying to defund, right? And that sort of Correct. gets back to my yes. point is that, okay, you want to take money away at the same time you want to give everybody a body camera. That's your initial cost. Those are not cheap. They're about $1,000 or so a piece. Right at, yes, okay. yes, sir, and, right at about $1,000 a piece. And, and then there's the cost of storage. Right? And that's what a lot of people don't, don't look at is the back end side of this, the storage behind it, the maintaining of all the records. I mean, that takes IT people to handle that. So you got additional personnel. All of these things are on the back side of it. Well, and you talk about the support personnel. It's not just uh, as far as your your people, uh, your IT and that, right. but uh, I'm sure you get many public information requests, Absolutely. right? Okay, oh. so now when I've asked you before for uh, I want all your video related scene, well, if it was just car video, then that's two or three videos, right? Well, now right. I want all of your, I want all your videos. Well, now that's car. That's body cams. That's this. And of every officer that was on scene. So you right. go from maybe a couple cars had video on it, and you got four or five police officers that all have video. And again, it goes back to, like I was telling you about, two-thirds more tape is run on your body camera because the officers on the scene are running that body camera the entire time they're on that scene. So you end up you know, with more storage on that. Well, everything that uh, the public doesn't always realize is that when, when we are releasing video, 
uh, not just out of personal choice that we don't release something, uh, there is redactions that have Correct. to be made. Okay, And certain times, if you have the ability to make redactions, you can do so. And if you don't, you can't release it. And uh, an example of that would be that uh, you have a very simple traffic stop. It ended in a citation. The person wants their video from that. Well, the problem was while he was uh, talking to that person, right. there's some other information coming across over the radio about a family violence, about something that this person has no right to access, right? Right. So we have to go in and we have to redact that out. We have to redact certain information that is seen on the video, uh, license plate numbers or th anything that they do not have a right to, to have, have access That's to. That's right. Right. So uh, goes sort of back to that privacy issue. We do respect the privacy issues because we can't release that private information to the citizen, right? That is correct. But how many clerks do you have to burn DVDs for you? I have one. You have one, That right? burns DVDs. You know, and then the training, the software, if you have redaction, you know, um, at ours, uh, we don't have it. So uh, we don't have the ability to do video as far as if, if there's if there's something on there you can't have, then you can't, you can't have, the have video. It, and right? we're the same way. We do not have the redaction software. So if there is something that would compromise privacy to someone else, we can't release that to the general public. You know, yeah, obviously if it's if it's the going district to, attorney or right, one of the criminal persons, right. Correct. Yes. But and that's that's something a lot of people don't understand. It it we do send those requests off uh, to the state Attorney General's, Attorney General's office, yes. And they get to review it. It's not a decision that we're saying, oh, you just can't have it. We send it off. They review it. If if it falls into the law in which it's under public information that we can release it, we release it. It's it's not uh, a choice we're making. We get their opinion on, on those type of things. But Correct. And we do the same as well, uh, everything, as, as any agency in Texas does. Now, do you have a... Um, you have people involved in ICAC or computer crimes? I do. I have uh, one officer assigned to the uh, ICAC task force. So now ICAC's the Internet Crimes Against Children. Sure. It's uh, part of, uh, we're part of the Houston Metro We ICAC. are as well. So yes. it's a, a, a large group. It, it used to be divided, and it's grown since then. It used to be just Houston or Dallas was the two, uh, and it was tied to the Attorney General. I think that has then expanded, and now we have more. Where, um, but... So with all the uh, different encryptions and things that we deal with, uh, an article that stood out that I thought was sort of interesting is from the UK. And the Facebook, I guess, is working on doing some encryption on I, their I stuff. I saw that same right? article. And, and apparently the UK is saying if that were encryption, if that encryption were in place, then one of their offenders... Uh, and so to give you some stats on that one, it was uh, in Britain, and uh, they describe him as a prolific pedophile who targeted 500 children uh, would not have been caught. Uh, he admitted uh, 96 uh, sex abuse acts on 51 boys uh, aged 4 to 14. Uh, they found 25, or excuse me, 250,000 messages communicating with the boys on Facebook. But basically the, uh, the idea of the article is that if this encryption goes through, that will not be accessible by police. That's what I understood, too. There was something in the way they were able to obtain the information. If that encryption is passed and, and they're allowed to do that, they were able to 
have co cooperation with the United States authorities to grab some of these records from here. And that was my understanding is they would no longer be able to do that. Right. It, and we've always relied, uh, understand that, you know, uh, Facebook, Apple, Twitter, all these places, they're, they're private corporations. We, we've correct. always had to get warrants uh, to get access to this stuff. At no point have we ever been able to just call them up and go, hey, can you send me this? Give me yes. this, right? It's always been through legal process that we've done it. Um, but this is actually making it to where that's not even possible, right? We're not getting uh, the access to it. Uh, and again, it's it's that um, I understand the balance between privacy issues, but um, uh, I, I think in the big scheme of things, uh, over security versus privacy, that's been a, a, a common that's common conversation. Uh, do you give up do you give up your privacy to have security? And I think that there's from a civilian standpoint, I can see the concern when you look at places outside the U.S., when you look at how um, uh, China has used facial recognition, whether you gain access to a store, whether you gain access to certain things based on your, your social level of class. Correct, right? yeah. Um, I can't ever imagine seeing that here, but I can see someone who sees that and views that and has concerns. As, as a concern that it would come in the future here. Again, like you said, going back to on the... Uh, Facebook thing, yes, and in this country, I think every state, you would have to, before you could get any record, no, I know that for a fact, before you could get any record, it's got to be reviewed by a judge who would have to issue a warrant for that at no time, like you pointed out earlier, can we just call one of Facebook or Twitter or anybody and just say, hey, we need these, these records, and they just send them to us. We have to have an actual search warrant to get that. You know, we talked about the increase in violent crime. We talked about HPD and stuff. Um, and one of the concerns brought up is the surge in retirements. And, and it's certainly been a conversation uh, in, in all these areas that we've talked about. And, right. In Seattle and Port, when you're legalizing drugs, when you have uh, these uh, violent protests, when you have a, a distaste for the police, when you have police officers that are going out there for the purpose to, these are the people you're trying to help, right? These, right. Are, these are who you've put the badge on to serve your public and you get the interpretation that they really don't want you there to begin with. Right. I, I can't imagine being in that situation. I, I'm not, we're not in, we're not in no. here in Texas. We've at least in our areas, we've gotten great support from our citizens and from our people. We don't see that here, but I can't imagine working in a place where the people that you're protecting really don't want you to be there. Don't, don't want you to help them. Yes. You know, and, and I can't either. I, again, like, like you just pointed out, for our area here, our, our citizens uh, in Humble, our city council, our mayor, everybody is 100% supportive of law enforcement and, and the jobs that we do. Uh, so I, I'm like you. I couldn't, I couldn't picture myself working in those conditions. But the surge in retirement, obviously, up to this point, has been met by the new surge of people wanting to be police. And I don't see that surge anymore, right? No. None I mean, if, if you're watching the news on a regular basis, why, why sign up? That's exactly right. Well, I'll give you a point. There was a time throughout my career when Umble would do a testing for one police officer. We would have over 100 candidates show up at the Civic Center to right. take the test. Now we can do it at the station in our training room. We had a record turnout this last week for testing. It was nine people 
Nine whole people. Nine yeah. whole people showed yeah. up. So you're right. The, and that trend has actually started a couple years ago. Yeah, it's, um, you know, and I know that brings to sort of the conversation you had as far as having beards, having tattoos. Those, right. those have been in response to a lack of people showing up. That right? is exactly and, right. And basically, yes. can, we, can we change uh, the image physically mm-hmm. that uh, normally you would not, you would have to, either one, you can't because of tattoos. You'd have to wear long sleeves all right. day because of tattoos um, if you decide to be a police officer. Right. right, and so exactly. to remove that allows that other opportunity. Are we missing that great candidate out there that you know, big that deal. can do a wonderful job, but he's got a tattoo on his arm? I agree. If he's a professional police officer, as long as he has a tattoo that's not offensive or anything like that, I don't see a problem with it. And so far, I've done this. I guess for about a month now, I've had no citizen uh, complaints. None at all. Right. In fact. Every one of them I've even actually prompted and asked them about it. I said, you notice our officers, they've got facial hair now, and they're showing their tattoos. Old-time citizens go, well, everybody else is doing it. Right. Why wouldn't it's, you do it's it? It's pretty much I mean, been a change of society Absolutely, anyway. it right. is. So, yes. So with that, what what are your thoughts? How, how do we reach out to recruit when so many people are leaving? I mean, like, what would you say is a solution in, in Houston where you're having two-year officers work homicides? Right, exactly. Well, what we're, we're currently doing with Humble Police, uh, we're sending officers out to the academies to let them know some of the changes that we're making uh, to better accommodate them in, in the job, to, to make a, I guess, a more relaxed work environment for them. One of the other things is, like we were talking earlier, the lightweight uniforms and things like that. The, the pol- police officers that are wanting to come into this now, they want a more relaxed environment. Uh, so that's what we're doing to, to I start. mean, and, and that does it, and it is, it's a great start to reach out to right. academies and police that are already employed. But at that point, if you're in the academy, you've decided to, you've be already a, decided you're right. You know, we, at so. this time we advertise, but yes, you're right. We're, we're not doing anything to start catching them early on like high schools or things like that. That is something that has been brought to my attention to maybe start visiting some of the schools and tell them about law enforcement, have some officers go and talk to them about that to get them swayed into maybe looking at that as a career field. Well, and I do know they offer some, um, some courses and like, I know that there's some high schools that actually have law enforcement right. courses. There's right. some that have forensic science courses. So, um, whether it's crime scene, whether it's a police officer, they, they have some of those available. And, and I do think that, um, but there's that gap. There's that gap between the time they graduate at 18 and 21, and 21. that I, I think that's certainly an area that needs to be focused on that, that you don't lose them, that you don't lose someone who's had a dream of doing that, who even uh, were to seek out that type of training and then fall off, I guess. Well, one of the other concepts that I saw was like an internship. Right. Uh, a friend of mine, he he's a longtime police officer as well. He was talking about that, and it really has some good merit. Let them come on board, work in positions that don't require you to be a certified police officer uh, in the department until they can get through the academy and then transition over to keep that interest in there. I know uh, that um, – They've offered, a matter of fact, I know that uh, just here local, just speaking of, of local, what I know, but I'm sure it's happened all around. Uh, for crime scene investigators, I know that uh, Blend College offers like a two-year uh, forensic science, so you could basically 
have the training to walk in as a crime scene investigator, uh, transitioning from your forensic classes in, in high school. So those are beneficial. But one of the concerns I have with that, and I know we've expressed on the show before, is there's still a lot of agencies that you have to be a cop first uh, before your CSI. They won't let you That's be correct. a civilian CSI, right? Ours is currently set up that way. However, you're exactly right. Several very good, well-reputable universities are offering forensic degrees now for that field. If you'll notice, Houston is using that Houston Forensic Center, right? They the Forensic Science Center. Yeah, they separated from the police department. Correct. Uh, so, and Mike Fulton, he's one of the guys over there. Right. Uh, he's been on the show before. That, uh, but that they were also they were also in the news last Absolutely. week. Absolutely. Right? Yes. And, there's there's and no quick nothing bad they that. were doing. They were just talking about the fact that they were responding. Uh, to four or five scenes a shift, you know, just yes. scene to scene to scene. And I know from being on scenes and processing scenes, the amount of time it takes, and you can't go scene to scene you to know scene. As, that is exactly and, right. And Things are going to get missed. And do as well of a job That's as if right. you were doing one or two you're scenes. You're right, right, because you're being rushed, and you're right. You can't do as thorough of a job as you would like to do. So... But I know they're hiring. Uh, they, they've put on there, and, and they are not police. Matter of fact, uh, Mike, a good friend of mine, had to, if I'm correct, give up your police commission to work there. Uh, wow. I didn't, that, I didn't know their criteria behind that. That uh, if I'm correct, he doesn't have his commission anymore, or maybe he had to have it somewhere else or whatever, maybe right. as a reserve staff. But either way, they, they are not a police agency. They will, they, you do not get commissioned through them. Um, so I know that they're looking, uh, but they've gotten to the point that they're only responding to homicides. Yes. So, uh, it's you're not, busy. you're not getting robberies. You're not getting all the other things that eventually probably will be a homicide. Like we talked about earlier. Absolutely. Right. It will grow into that. But well, as, uh, as we wrap up today, um, you know, we talked about some of the challenges that, uh, just facing law enforcement uh, around the country, local, uh, we're going to talk next week with uh, Stephen Phillips, chief at Montgomery County ISD, in his new position, and he's got all sorts of different challenges with the schools, and and certainly I think that that relationship between the officers in the schools and those children uh, start that recruitment. Start, Absolutely, start you're, that uh, you're 100 percent uh, right relationship uh, that can build. That's correct. Those the the kids see those officers and they look at them as mentors, uh, and it can grow all the way through to their career in law enforcement. So Ken, I appreciate you being in and thank you for uh, listening to Crime Scene today. If you would like to be on the show, you have a topic for the show or you have any questions for me, and certainly if you'd like to sponsor the show, you can reach out at dan at crimescenetoday.com. We thank you for listening and we'll see you next week.